ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be, until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan, and you're Lindsay. Whoa! Got how, it. How did you know? I, I remember from last week. Oh. Hmm? Yeah. That That's only... That's my, that's my only... I only see you during the show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, episode some, 120. Some, sometimes we share the same bed. <laughs> episode 124. Uh, so many horror stories in 124 episodes. Uh, yeah, I mean. At a least lot of paranormal. It's approximately 124 times four. Approximately. Well, yeah. With, yeah, because I, I, ne- I can never remember when we started incorporating the uh, the fan stories, but like, I don't know. I think before we hit double digits. Okay. I want to say, well, I want to say something like seven or eight. Because mm, one, yeah. one of those early on, man, somewhere between like 7 and 12, 7 and 14 yeah. is the, like a fan favorite story of that guy, Paul. Oh, yeah. Like out, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, with mm-hmm, the brother. Mm-hmm. And yep, the, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say between four and 500 stories. That's a lot of paranormal. Bananas and bonus episodes. And bonus episodes. Uh, yeah, so many. Uh, two really quick announcements, and then we're just off and running today. Let's do it. Uh, got some new merch in the store, but only for our Annabelles. It's a... Uh, Interesting cutting board. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> for hardcore <laughs> creepers only. I forgot that was today. Or to scare people. Oh my god, it's so gross. Uh, made with tempered glass, this chopping block is dishwasher safe, delivers high reusability uh, as well as resilience, resilience, and it is fucking terrifying. It's so gross. Uh, has four rubber dots, uh, keeps the board safely in place for all your chopping and slicing tasks, and it makes you look like a serial killer. Uh, it looks like something Dexter would use. <laughs> it's, it's very unique and, it, and it's very well done. It's just like when both, is it like it's like bloody fingers. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so, intense. It's an intense design on a cutting board. I've never seen something like it. But man, that's it's great. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it's great for hardcore horror fans. So available now for our Annabelle's at badmagicmerch.com. Uh first Bad Magic Production Charity 2022. Still love thy neighbor. Uh thanks for helping us donate $15,500 to those awesome Denver area or to this awesome Denver Area 5013C nonprofit. They hand out free food to the homeless in addition to giving clothing, shoes, blankets, etc. And you can go to ltnsocks.com to find out more about just a really great organization. And then that's it for announcements. Okay. And it's time for previewing some stories. Okay, well, what do you got? Okay, I'll start. Yeah, I have my two stories. Uh, the first place, uh, the first one takes place in Romania, hmm. and the second one's actually set in Cleveland. Oh, well, you know I love it. Any opportunity right. to talk about my hometown, and I think I think which is Parma Heights, not Cleveland, but like listen, it, they're adjacent ish. Well, and I think in this in this area, it's Garfield Heights is where, Ooh. so it's not too far away. I don't okay. think. No, I know where that is. Uh, the first story is known as the Tanuku Exorcism, mm. and it, uh, what everyone agrees on with this story is that in the spring of 2005, a young nun named Maricha Cornici died after collapsing after being tied up for about a week in a Romanian monastery. Uh, what there's a lot of disagreement on is what led to her death. Did a monk and some nuns horribly handle a case of schizophrenia, or was this truly a case of demonic possession? And then the st- second story, as I said, takes place in Garfield Heights, Ohio. An anonymous woman bought her first house, and joy and pride quickly turned into paranormal terror. 
very unique type of haunting that I can't set up much without giving uh, something away. But this one is probably going to be hard to listen to if you hear it right before you go to bed and you live alone. Oh, okay. Uh, are you ready to head to Romania and kick things off? Do you want to know about my stores? Oh my gosh. Your stories? I do. I do. Don't want to hear about your stories. Yeah, I do I want to hear about them. I know it's because we went out of order. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I, know. Totally, I totally threw me. I just went into like um. Uh, You're like it's my turn now. Yep, habit. Yeah. Uh, uh, also, when you said the nun thing, like huh? I didn't read this article, but I don't know anybody like in their Apple News feed. Yeah. Did you see that like headline about a nunnery convent, whatever? Of like not actual nuns, but like women, like I think dressing as nuns, but dispensing drugs. No, Where, what, uh, in the U.S. or some other country? I think it's in the U.S. I saw the headline and I was like, excuse me, what? And I kept meaning to go back to the article and I was hoping that you were going to say, oh, yeah, I saw oh, that and man. I read it. It sounds pretty awesome. That's pretty funny. And I want, is, is it legal or an illegal business? I have business? no okay. idea. Okay. I did not read the article, yeah. but I just, anybody listening, like, please go find it and read it and let us know. Um, so I have also um, two international stories this week. We're going hmm. to Cuba. Okay. For one story, a very um, bizarre sort of experience, maybe dabbling in the Santeria or rather mm. interfering with it. Okay. Uh, and then my second story to Dublin. Okay, for, cool. For a haunted bar, which we're hoping to get over there this coming summer. So yeah. I just thought it was like fun if I could dabble in some things that we might be able to encounter. I was just so random, but yesterday evening I was working on uh, for Celtic mythology, an episode oh, of Time right. Suck. So, and I was doing a section on Ireland and like researching some stats. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't realize how rural Ireland is. But when you said Dublin, mm -hmm. uh, I think about 40% of all the people in the Republic of Ireland live in the Dublin metro area. Wow. And their third biggest city is about the size of Coeur d'Alene. Limerick is uh, the, the metro area of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, is a little bit bigger than the metro area of Limerick, Ireland, which is their third biggest metropolis. What's the second? Oh, oh dang boy, it! Sorry. I can't. I can't remember that the the second. Um, it was. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. It was a city I'd heard of, Cork. No. No. Um, and I just can't remember what it is. Where Belfast? No, because that's in Northern Ireland. That's not oh, the Republic oh, of Ireland. Oh, oh, right. My right. geography is no bueno. Well, you're on the right island. I know, just not the right country. Please. Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's all Ireland to me, which I know is not fair. I know it's not right. Yeah. But like, I have, I'd have to go study a map yeah, for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You said Cork? I think, yeah, yeah Cork. that's right. Okay, that is right. Okay. Your fucking brain, man. I know. <laughs> I <swear to> God. <laughs> Where were we the other day that you pulled out? Oh, yeah, we went to just like a small digression here and then we'll dive in, I promise. We were at dinner yeah. with friends on Friday and... Uh, one of our friends really loves to make the waitress give you like fun facts and you put oh. out some weird fun fact and the rest of the table. About the silverware. Yep. The rest of the table is like, what? And they're just like, mine's one. I was like, welcome to my life. Every day you get at least 15 minutes of random information that you have no idea where the, he's pulled it from. That will help you 0% in life. Except for interesting dinner party oh, facts. Okay. Okay. True. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some spoopiness. Okay. A little bit of setup, but not much in this first one. Okay. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess show your socks. Alien socks. Ooh, we, and we haven't done an alien story. Okay, all right, good, good cue for me to find another good alien story. Or not. When tragedy befell a 23-year-old nun, Marici, Corn, or Maricha Cornici, the people of Vaslui County, Romania, didn't know what to think. Many had observed Maricha uh, acting increasingly strange over the past few months. Her face would randomly contort into expressions that seemed menacing, or at the very least made those who saw them uncomfortable. She'd be, heard she'd be heard mumbling in a voice that didn't fit her body, speaking gibberish or perhaps some language no one around her understood. What was going on? They'd wonder. Was she mentally ill, as people said her father had been back before he died? 
Was she driven to madness due to the trauma she reportedly experienced during a childhood of abandonment, family death, poverty, and abuse? Or, as those who knew her best have said, was her strange behavior due to something else entirely, like demonic possession? Those closest to her believed that Marici, Maricha, sorry, her name just does not feel right, but it's Maricha, uh, was plagued by something not from this world. Now time for the tale of the Tanuku exorcism. After the Romanian Revolution in December 1989, the Socialist Republic of Romania, like much of the Communist Eastern Bloc, collapsed, and the people rejoiced for many reasons. One was a return to spiritual life in a nation that had once been predominantly Christian, one that was still Christian, but for so long the faithful had hidden their religion. Atheism was now no longer the only belief system promoted by the state, and Romanian Christians would no longer be persecuted for their beliefs. For the first time in decades, people were truly free to worship as they wanted, openly. And for some, that now meant they wanted to dedicate their lives to being a priest or a monk or a nun at a monastery. This is exactly what uh, Maricha Cornici wanted. <laughs> her, her names, I want to flip the syllables. I, I want to say Marici Cornici, and, and it's the reverse of that. How about this? We the all Romanian know what you is, mean, but if you get stuck, yeah, just keep going. There we go. Uh, so that's what she did. Before becoming a nun at age 23, Maricha didn't have an easy life. Born into a broken family, she was raised in orphanages and foster homes following her mother's abandonment and her father's suicide. When she was 19, she worked as a nanny first in Germany and then for a family in the Romanian region of Banat. And then a friend of hers she'd kept in touch with from an orphanage she'd spent many years in became a nun at the Tanuku Monastery, uh, Tanuku Monastery, and she encouraged Maricha to become a nun there as well. The day after her first communion at the monastery, Maricha began acting Oddly, it started with giggling during mass. Her fellow nuns, of course, thought that it was strange and disrespectful, but initially they weren't concerned about her mental health or her salvation, and they just hoped she was adjusting to her new life in the monastery. They hoped she'd settle in and become a proper and pious nun. But that wouldn't be the case. By April, Maricha's bizarre behavior and mental state had deteriorated further, and she was brought to a local psychiatric hospital where she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. After a two-week stay for observation and treatment, they released her back to the monastery. Many who had known Maricha were suspicious of her diagnosis. She'd never before exhibited any signs of mental illness. She appeared to recover and went to Bannett to retrieve 4,500 euros in savings from Germany that she'd left in a trust there with some employers. And at Bannett, something happened. When Maricha came back, she seemed much, much worse than ever before. Her brother would later say that when he saw her, she'd act completely normal one minute, and then the next, her body would go completely rigid. Her eyes would open, she'd make disturbing, animalistic sounds, she'd lash out violently, try to hurt him and others around her, she'd mumble strange things he couldn't understand, she'd stare at him with eyes darker and crueler than they should have been. He became convinced that some kind of outside force had taken hold of her. It was clear that Maricha needed help, but what kind? Father Daniel uh, Corajana thought he knew. He was a 29-year-old head monk of the monastery where Maricha served and lived. Corajano was an intense man of God. He looked like a throwback to another time. Long chestnut hair flowing down past the middle of his back. His mouth completely disappeared behind his long mustache. His fluffy reddish-brown beard fell down to his stomach over his chest. He looked the part and acted it as well. He took his religious duties very seriously. He draped the whitewashed wooden fence at the entrance to the monastery with a half-dozen signs warning visitors of the rules inside. Men were not permitted after 4 p.m. Women were forbidden to enter wearing pants or with their heads uncovered. Everyone entering had to be a follower of the Romanian Orthodox Church. This is God's house, and here the angels sing, read one sign. 
Father Corrigiano held passionate and charismatic services in God's house several times a day and in the middle of the night, and he attracted a fanatical following from the nearby villages. He also built a reputation as the man to go to if there were demons that needed to be cast out. He could say all the prayers for exorcism on command, said Reverend Lucian, a young parish priest from a nearby village who explained that Corrigiano's gift was unusual. He'd never seen a monk with this ability before. Corrigiano seemed born to do battle with the devil. And when Father Daniel Corrigiano saw the devil in Maricha, he came to her aid. He now believed mental illness was not the primary cause of her suffering, but instead possession. You can't take the devil out of people with pills, he told an assistant. He made it clear that an exorcism was necessary, and immediately. At Father Corrigiano's orders in the spring of 2005, several nuns bound Maricha's hands and feet, locked her in a room before beginning their exorcism. They recited over and over the liturgy commemorating the ascension of Jesus for several days, and they didn't tie her up against her will. She too believed that the devil, or the devil's minions, were inside of her, and she wanted them out. Supposedly, and others would back up this claim, she asked to be bound. She begged to have an exorcism. Father Corrigiano and four of his most devoted nuns continually prayed over Maricha, and she seemingly battled something within herself. She alternated back and forth between presenting herself as the young woman who'd come to the monastery to give herself to God, and then as a monster who screamed in a different voice, threatened those around her, trying to violently attack them, etc. After a few days of this, the monk and his nuns now carried her from her room and into the church, chaining her to a cross with her arms stretched out in a crucifixion pose while they doused her with holy water at the altar of Christ. As they watched her arms strain against the ties, they wondered if they were hurting her and should untie her. But then, they would later claim, Maricha seemed to become herself again for a moment and begged them to continue, begged them to tie her tighter, make sure she couldn't move, to continue to fight the evil inside of her, to never stop until it was gone. Later, Father Corrigiano and the nuns would wonder if, they, if it had truly been Maricha begging not to be untied, or if they had been fooled, tricked by whatever was possessing her. Did some demon know that if they kept her tied up, she might weaken and then die? Was this part of their plan to destroy her? They decided, to keep, they decided to keep her in the church for three days. At one point, again allegedly at Maricha's request, they put a towel in her mouth to stop her from cursing. And they prayed and prayed and prayed. We drive you from us, whoever you may be, unclean spirits, all satanic powers, all infernal invaders, all wicked legions, assemblies, and sects. In the name and by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, may you be snatched away and driven from the church of God and from the souls made to the image and likeness of God and redeemed by the precious blood of the divine Lamb. Meanwhile, Maricha thrashed and thrashed and also seemed to exhibit strong signs of something paranormal occurring. On several occasions, when they put holy water on her lips, she spit it back at them, and they'd see that the water had turned to blood. After three days of thrashing, cursing, and a continual rejection of anything holy, she finally lay still. Her features and voice returned to what they'd been when she first arrived at the monastery. She was now, according to Father Corrigiano, cured. The nuns untied Maricha and helped her to her room. They gave her bread and tea. She ate and drank. She seemed exhausted, but otherwise better than she'd been in months. But then she fainted. And when the nuns couldn't revive her, they called an ambulance. And while in the ambulance, she was administered six separate doses of adrenaline in an attempt to revive her, and it didn't work. By the time she'd reached the hospital, she was dead. Everyone now wondered, had she been possessed? Did keeping her tied up for a week kill her? Did something possibly inside her trick the monk and the nuns into thinking they were saving her when really they were murdering her? The medical examiner claimed Maricha died of dehydration, exhaustion, and a lack of oxygen. 
This didn't make a lot of sense to many members of the community, especially not to Father Corrigiano or the nuns who'd assisted him. Mariccia was given food and water when she was bound. She did eat and drink some, they claimed. So how could she be so dehydrated? She hadn't been strangled or suffocated, they said. So how could she die from a lack of oxygen? How was it possible that she died in this way? As Mariccia Cornici Cornici was lowered into her grave during her funeral, sudden and unexpected claps of thunder were heard, leading Father Corrigiano to conclude that the will of God had been done, but not everyone else agreed. Local authorities now charged Father Corrigiano and the four nuns who'd helped him with murder and depriving a person of liberty. After a long and highly publicized trial, Father Corrigiano was sentenced in 2007 to 14 years in prison. Four nuns were sentenced to between five and eight years in prison each. Was justice served? Maybe, maybe not. Members of the press present noted that almost everyone in the courtroom supported Father Corrigiano and the nuns, and that when the guilty verdict was read out, numerous people collapsed to the floor in tears. Corrigiano was freed on parole in November of 2011 after serving two-thirds of his punishment. The Romanian Orthodox Church closed down his monastery and had him defrocked. And that was that. Until 2014. That year, the cause of Mariccia's death was re-examined and found to be an overdose of adrenaline given in the ambulance. When he learned of this, Corrigiano stated, My biggest mistake was that I called the ambulance when I saw she was not moving. I think she died because the medics who came with the ambulance tried to resuscitate her by giving her too much adrenaline. Had I not called the ambulance, she would have been well now. And now many in the community wonder, was Mariccia ultimately not the demon or devil's target, but Father Corrigiano instead? Was some adversary trying to destroy the devil-battling monk and his monastery? If that was the goal, it was accomplished. Today, in Tanuku, many people, including Mariccia's brother and friends, continue to maintain that Mariccia was indeed possessed rather than just mentally ill and that Corrigiano did his best to save her. And they wonder, if you try to help a possessed person from being destroyed by demonic forces, who's to say those forces now won't destroy you? What a fascinating twist at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh. But after he served all that time. I know. mm Mm-hmm. And the nuns did too. And yeah, the the monastery was closed down. And it's still pretty controversial. There's still people who are like, they were absolutely wrong. Mm. Uh, You know, at the very least, they they created the circumstances that led to the adrenaline shot being needed that led to her death. Yeah, what is that? Uh, Um... Involuntary manslaughter, mm-hmm. maybe? Yep. And then there's, you know, others who think that, no, you know, that they were there, that will believe to the day they die. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this was not uh, uh, just schizophrenia. This was, you know, demonic possession. Yeah, yeah. I have some pictures if you want to see them. Or you can t- ask questions first. I have a weird question that sure. might be, sound silly, but I, I don't know that I've ever... Well, I, I was gonna say I don't know that I know yeah. cases of, like, priests going to jail. Obviously, I know, like, with the Catholic Church in America, all that. But <clears> when... Priests or nuns are sentenced to prison. Do they yeah. just go to regular prison? Uh, I mean, is there like it, it might nun prison? From... <laughs> but, or, but like, like yeah. a section of the... I don't think we, so. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I think you just go to prison prison. Yeah. I mean, in but this you country, to to, like, you just white... go to prison prison. Well, maybe you get to go to like white collar prison. Depends on the crime. Uh, there have been plenty of uh, Catholic priests in this country who have yeah. definitely gone to prison prison. Yeah. I'm and sure they're not for faring some, well. For some, it has not fared well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, this, this Romanian monk... I don't know. I don't know what Romania's penal system is. Yeah. But I, I would strong I strongly assume that he went to prison prison. Yeah. I know it's a silly question, but my mind kinda like went to this place of like the military and like they have their JAG lawyers, and then like does the yeah. like 
I, like the Catholic diocese has their own set of lawyers. So it's like mm-hmm. interesting when you kind of start to break it down that they have their own subsects of things within the judicial system, except when it comes to the sentencing. Yeah. When, once you go to, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. Then it's just, I guess. Prison is prison. Yep. It's just all dependent on your crimes, not yeah. who you are. I would never survive in prison. I just want everyone to know that in case you wondered, <laughs> like, no uh, way I would, I would fall apart oh, in about two days. I would get so, I would, I would. I mean, if I get my... You'd be invited into the Aryan Nation, at least. I mean, look <laughs> just, at you. Just my look. Exactly. I'm not saying that that's who you are. I'm just <laughs> right, saying, like, right, right. But the, I think those are, like, the unfortunate choices that people are forced to make in prison. I mean, obviously, you sometimes you go to prison, like, I think about... What was that show we watched? Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. Without giving anything away, there's a crime that happens, and then uh, a father... Yeah. ...that is like, ha-ha, nope. Yeah, so yeah, So it's yeah. like, if something happens to your child, and then you avenge your child's mm-hmm. whatever... I mean, that's crazy, and I get it that it's still illegal, but it's understandable. I would try and join a Latin gang. I would just, I would lie. Oh. I would just claim uh, ancestry that I don't have. You don't even speak Spanish. You have a terrible... It doesn't matter. It's ancestry. I would just claim it. I, I can lie. They don't, they don't know. They're not going to, what, check my 23 and me. <laughs> I, but I think that lying to gang members might be pretty dangerous. I think just anything would be pretty... <laughs> anything. I would just, I wouldn't want the stigma... Of Aryan nations on me when I left, I would do my yeah. best. Well, I yeah. mean, you know, it's, who picks me at the cafeteria? I know. It's first, first smuggle in as much steroids as I can. Mm-hmm. Dedicate my life to weightlifting, mm-hmm. just as much time in the yard. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I'm going to have to find somebody smaller. It's just unfortunate. I don't even want to do it. I'm going to have to either kill him mm-hmm. or beat him close to death to establish myself as a person to be reckoned with. I'm going to I'm gonna have to take a chance at that at least. Oh my God. See, otherwise, my I'm, stomach otherwise is I'm just victim. Otherwise, I, I, like, I literally can't. I have to transform my whole psychology. I can't kill a fly without my knees feeling a little bit weak. Man, if you're in a kill or be killed place, maybe you'll change. Okay, so enough about my future in prison. That's never going to happen. <laughs> uh, let's check out some pictures. Um, could only find a few photos of Maricha Cornici online. Uh, here's one of them from when she was a teen, I'm guessing. Okay. And then this next one. She looks so Romanian. It's oh, yeah? unbelievable. I just think I just like went to like Romanian gymnast. I'm like, yes. Oh, funny. Yes. And, and this next one, yeah, is a little bit, a little bit, a little bit better. Yeah, mm-hmm. just her bone structure. And I was stuff. just gonna say the high cheekbones, yes, and mm-hmm. the narrow nose. Yep, so that's her there. And then uh and then this guy, old school this this father Daniel uh or monk, I guess, uh oh, Corigiano. Whoa, red beard. Yeah. Like something out of a movie, and that's you know, some of his nuns. But I mean, like, like if I cast like an exorcist movie, mm-hmm. he would be amazing casting. I think you guys have the same book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that, that special Bible he has does look like our book of stories here. It does. It does. Uh, another shot uh, of the, of the monk and his nuns in court. I mean, he, oh, he seems like an intense dude wearing that fur vest. I know. Okay. Now, oh, is it man. possible that he is dying his beard? That is such a specific <laughs> color. It might be, but I will say a lot of guys, myself included, will have like no red tints at all in their hair I know. and have a little bit in their beard. Like even I have some of my beard. But that is. I know, but he has red hair and then his beard is like, it is something like he would. He belongs like, in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Like he just stepped off the set. And, and these pictures are on our uh, Instagram and Facebook. If uh, you're new to the show, yeah, at Scared to Death Podcast, but. What, yeah, it's like he would. He oh, would oh, he's scare a wildling. Me into, he's a wildling. He's a wildling That's from Game of is. Thrones. That's it. He's the head wildling. Yes, or maybe the assistant to that guy because he looks a little bit smaller than the big guy. True, he's that guy's little brother. Oh my gosh! Uh, and then this last pick is his. Uh, 
this is um, Father, yeah, Daniel Cordon was fighting Satan, so I want to get a pick of Satan there. Nice. And, and Joe, if you can zoom in on any part of Satan uh, that you see fit, I just I always forget how endowed Satan is. Thank you so much. He's a powerful adversary. Uh-huh. It's been a while since we saw that picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've seen that before? Mm-hmm. You don't remember? No. You didn't burn into your memory? <laughs> Thankfully, no. You don't think about that in tender moments? No, lucky for you. That's not your fantasy? No. Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> your shock value has worn off, my friend. <laughs> I know. I waited a while, too. I don't mm. know. I, I just took it so far that yeah. I don't know how to go far- further. Well, that's the thing. You don't. You, like, mm. find the, okay, like, what is maybe something that will kind of shock her, but also make her think, like, wait, is that real? Could, uh, that, be, could that possibly fit in? You, okay. get, you have to build back up again. I know. I know. It's real tricky. I know. I'm a tough cookie. <laughs> um, do you have any more to say about this story or do you want to do you want to move on? Uh, no. I, I mean, it was just really fascinating mm-hmm. that you know, the trial, I did not see that coming. Mm. You know, I, I didn't even think of that. As, prison for many, many years. Yeah, well, I didn't even think of it as an option that he could be tried for murder yeah. when she was a willing participant. I wish I had a picture of him once he got out of prison. I bet once he got, I would love it in some weird world if like this happened a little while ago, he got out of prison, went into acting, and he is the wildling from Game of Thrones. That's it. You're hung up on that now. He's bulked up. He bulked up. Uh-huh. And now he's that guy. Great. What a great backstory for that character. Kind of. Okay. Right. Okay. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, just like, I wonder if in other instances of exorcisms where the person being exorcised mm-hmm. has then passed away soon thereafter, like... Were there other are there other instances of priests being locked up for? Uh, there's been n- other people death? charged. There's been other people charged. I can't off the top of my head think if they actually were convicted yeah. and also went to prison, so but they've definitely gone to trial. Yeah, so it's just so um, fascinating because to me it's like, hmm. I mean, his. It sounds like her family mm-hmm. thought or her brother thought there that she was possessed. So yeah. I mean, who's bringing forth the charges? The, the state. Oh. Because, yeah, yeah. forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, if the brother doesn't want to press charges, we can all just move on with our lives. <laughs> that's the funny thought to think that that's how the legal system could work, where it's like um, they, they, people find a they, – they show up to a house, uh-huh. and uh, somebody has been clearly murdered, and the other person's clever, covered in blood. And they're like, well, is anyone going to press charges? And then the person who's covered in blood is like, no, I'm not going to press charges. And then they just like, talk to family members. Anybody else want to press charges? And they're like, no, we're scared of that guy, and we're not going to. Well, I guess we have no crime then. That would be that would be great. <laughs> the mafia and Blaze would have loved that. Oh my gosh! Oh. Yeah, yeah, and that the nuns went to prison. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm really like hung up on that particular part of it. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole thing is is weird and scary, and in the, in the fact that she. I mean, I love that they reopened the case and figured out that mm-hmm. it was the adrenaline. You know, it's a crazy detail that I didn't include in this story because there were some, you know, like almost like uh, court kind of details that weren't relevant. Sure. But as you're talking about what was crazy, it's, uh, they still held services like while the, the week she was bound mm-hmm. and then she was taken into the church after a few days, like into the chapel mm-hmm. and like basically put on this cross. They held services. And part of the reason also like the cursing, like when her mouth was, you know, like gag- when she was uh, gagged, yeah. it was to keep her quiet during services. So how wild is that? That there were congregants coming in for mass and there's a supposedly demonically possessed woman tied to a crucifix who is trying to scream. I missed the part that she was bound to a crucifix. Yeah, she's put on a cross. Did you say that in the story? uh, Did I zone out? I think I did. I I know that you said that she was bound, but I didn't know that she was bound to a crucifix. Yeah, like to a cross. So she was, you know, like, like, yeah, when she was brought... That's such a bigger, um, much more intense image in my brain. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, wow! If if I didn't what? now, uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah. After a few days, yep, change, chaining her to a cross. Mm-hmm. Oh man, sorry, I must have like no just, worries. I get hung up on some of the other details as you're of telling course. the story, but 
That's crazy because, you know, I went to Catholic mass. Imagine that. You're going to a mass. 18 years mm-hmm. every Sunday. And in the corner uh, behind the, oh the father is a lady, a young lady, uh, chained to a cross, trying, sc- cursing and screaming through a gag. And then I guess he's just like, don't mind her. We're trying to get the devil out. Just focus on the, we, the scripture. Two things would have happened mm-hmm. to me. I would have prayed really hard, mm-hmm. like really, really hard. And also I would have kept myself in line. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that is scary because even if you know the supposed context mm-hmm. that, you know, she's possessed and we're, we, what we're doing is right and we're helping her, I'm still like, oh, okay. Right. You know, there's always that little glimmer of doubt in your brain of like, or also you just thought that she was out of line. <laughs> That'd be wild. Tr- yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that that's what happened, but just as like a kid, that's what I would probably, be thinking. I'd probably like, happened back in the oh, day a few boy. times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they had a little bit more power. Yee, yee. You're, scary on a lot of levels. You ready to head to Cleveland? Oh, am I? I'm always happy to go to Cleveland. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Right after today's sponsor break. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsor, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, we now return to horror story time. A little bit of setup again on this one. Uh, I was so, uh, uh, just to get into the story, I was so happy. Just a first person account of this, you know, woman Garfield Heights, anonymous, doesn't give her name, but gives some details about where she lived. I was so happy when I bought that little house, my first house on Christine Avenue in Garfield Heights back in 2006. Three bedrooms, two bathrooms, 1,300 square feet, and I got it for 45000 What? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I was hung up on that for a second, and I did some real estate research. Absolutely in line. Wow. And that wasn't like a that, was two, abnor- that wasn't an abnormality? No. Back in 2006, you could get houses left and right for $30,000. Not kidding. And and not like shacks and not just all beat to hell. Okay. Well, I guess we missed that. Sure, it needed some work, but I liked the neighborhood. I'd grown up in nearby Cleveland on the edge of Shaker Heights uh. and had an aunt and uncle and some cousins who lived not far from this house growing up. Two of my cousins lived within a few blocks. And it was less than a mile from the Cleveland Clinic's Marymount Hospital where I was working as a nurse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was so proud of myself. I'd set a goal of buying my first place before I turned 30 and I'd done it with three years to spare. When I set that goal, I didn't think I'd be buying it alone, but oh well. I'd broken things off with my fiance the year before, and while it was rough, we dated for six years. I was in a great place emotionally when I moved in. I was dating a bit, nothing serious, and I felt good about life in general, really. 
I say all this to let anyone reading this know that I was not in some rough emotional place when all this happened. I wasn't struggling with my mental health or with drugs or with anything. And the only paranormal experience I'd ever had before was at a sleepover when I was 12 when two of my friends and I convinced ourselves that we heard a ghost walking up and down the stairs at night that in hindsight was probably just Amy's dad getting a middle of the night snack or going to the bathroom. I wasn't reading scary books, watching horror movies, or anything. I'd never even watched any of the ghost hunting shows on cable at that time. This whole experience came out of nowhere. It started right after I moved in the very first night. Oh, man. Time now for the tale of hiding in the closet. After a long day of unpacking boxes and lifting stuff up on the second floor where my room was, I was exhausted. It was a Saturday. A few of my friends and Pam, one of my cousins, had helped me out in exchange for pizza and some beer. And at around midnight, after grabbing one last slice and some Advil for some sore muscles I knew I'd have the next day, I tore off most of my clothes, collapsed onto my bed, and was out cold within probably a minute of my head hitting the pillow. Next thing I know, I'm waking up a few hours later around 4 in the morning. I woke up startled by something touching my bare leg. It was summer, the house had no AC, and I was sleeping on top of my blankets with the window open. And when I looked half awake towards the foot of my bed, I saw a small shadow jump off onto the floor. And then I heard it land. Soft, but I heard it. And then I heard what sounded like the faintest of footsteps moving towards the open closet door. Then that door slammed shut. (gasps) And now I was really awake. That was the first time I'd ever felt scared in any bedroom I'd ever had. Now I hated that I was alone. When my friends had asked me earlier in the day if I was nervous at all about being a young woman living alone, I was not lying when I told them that it really didn't bother me. Now it did. Being so new to the house, I didn't have a lamp set up yet. And this was my... This was so many years ago, my flip phone cell phone didn't have a flashlight. And if I wanted to check on the closet, I'd first have to get out of bed, walk over to the wall by the door to the bedroom to turn the light on. So I slowly swung my legs onto the floor, heart pounding, never taking my eyes off the closet door. And as quietly as I could, I crept over to the bedroom door. I flipped on the light switch and just stood there and listened for a bit, worried that I would hear something moving, something breathing. I remembered I had a flashlight downstairs, but now I was too scared to walk down there and get it. I slowly walked over to the closet, grabbed the door handle, steeled myself for a few moments before flinging it open while jumping back, expecting to see some boogeyman. I didn't see anything. Nothing but empty shelves. Satisfied there was nothing in there and that maybe I'd imagine the whole thing somehow hoping I had, even though that didn't make any sense, now I went downstairs and found that flashlight. I brought it back up, looked in that closet one more time, was glad the bedroom door had a lock, did lock the bedroom door, tried to fall back asleep. After 10 or 20 minutes or so, I did fall asleep, was up the next morning by 8. My cousin Pam was coming back at 9. She was going to help me put stuff away before we went out to dinner to celebrate. Pam asked me how my first night in the new house went, and I told her about my crazy middle-of-the-night fright, and she had a good laugh. She does not believe in any of this stuff. She thought it was just some crazy, lucid dream I had, probably brought up by my fear and stress over living on my own. I'd always had roommates or a boyfriend or my fiance before. I told myself that maybe she was right. And when she teased me and asked if I needed to have a sleepover with her that night, like we did back when we were kids, I told her no. But if she would have pushed, I would have taken her up on it. I was worried about being alone again that night. Neither one of us heard anything unusual that day. And then that night we went to Cozumel, one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. They have the best margaritas and fajitas. And I was good and tired by the time we called it a night. Pam went home and so did I. And I had a worse feeling of dread walking in the front door, even though I'd intentionally left the lights on. 
I expected to see some thing running across the floor, maybe towards me. No, the house seemed empty and quiet. Soon I was settled in for bed again. After checking out that closet some more, Pam and I had examined it early in the day as well. Both agreed it was totally empty. I made sure the bedroom door was locked. Then I laid in bed, sheet over my legs this time, even though it was still hot, and soon, exhausted again after another long day, I was asleep. And that night, I had a terrible nightmare. I dreamed I was sick. So sick. I was young, and I was scared. My mom, not my real mom, but my mom and my dream came in to check on me. It was the same house in this dream. Many years ago, but the same house, same room, with the same closet. My mom took my temperature, said I was getting better, but I didn't believe that. I was certain something bad was going to happen to me. I wanted her to stay with me, but she didn't. She left me there, and I was so afraid. My eyes were drawn to that closet door, and a minute or so after she'd left, it crept open. I knew it would. And something came out of it. Some little shadowy, horrible thing. And it walked over to the foot of my bed, pulled itself up the blankets until it was on the bed with me. Then it was crawling over my feet, crawling up my legs. I could feel it, but I was too afraid to look, too frozen with fear to scream, and soon it was on my chest. And it kept crawling, crawling until it was at the base of my neck. Now I looked and I saw a doll, a small, old, horrible doll. And it was doing something to me. It was hurting me. I had a hard time breathing. I couldn't breathe at all now. It was taking my breath from me. I needed to scream for help, but I couldn't. I couldn't scream. I couldn't move. I was dying. I tried again with everything I had, and now I did let loose a scream. A scream that seemed to push that thing away from me. It scurried back towards the end of my bed and jumped off, and then the scream in my dream became a scream in real life. I woke up with it, bolting up in bed, short of breath like something had been choking me, and then I caught a blur of motion in the corner of my eye, and I heard a door slam. The closet door. What are you? I screamed suddenly. I was so afraid, so confused, angry. I grabbed my flashlight, turned on the bedside lamp I'd set up that day, hopped out of bed, ran over to the light switch, flipped it on. I stormed directly over to the closet, flung it open, nothing again. I grabbed my pillow and blanket and went downstairs to find the couch. I was done with that room for at least the night. It was about five in the morning. I had to be up at six for work anyway, so I just stayed awake. I worked a long day, thoughts never wandering too far from that closet, and then hated that I dreaded coming home to the new place I had just been so excited about. I grabbed dinner, with a few, a few drinks with some coworkers to delay heading home, then finally went to go face my fears. That night I tried something new. I took a nightstand I had just bought for the guest bedroom. I put it in front of the closet door. I had worked so hard to get this house. I was not going to let whatever the hell was happening in this room ruin it for me. I still wanted to believe that there was somehow a reasonable explanation for everything. Maybe I was experiencing night terrors or sleep paralysis or something. It took me a good hour or two to fall asleep that night. I had set up a TV in my room with a DVD player and a sleep timer, and I fell asleep watching Meet the Fockers, I think. I hoped that some comedy would maybe help me not have another terrible nightmare. But again, I did have something terrible happen. I woke up to feeling something in bed with me again. This time I popped up immediately and I threw myself out of bed. I quickly turned on the light, looked towards the closet door to see it shut. It didn't really slam, so it had only been open a few inches because I had blocked the door with that other little nightstand. My stomach sank. The nightstand I put in front of it had clearly been moved. I think I was finally more pissed than scared. I quickly slid the nightstand completely away from the door, opened it up. I knew it would look empty again, but this time I noticed what looked like a little crack in the corner in the wall between the second and third shelves, perfectly straight up and down. I pushed on the wall by this crack. It moved just slightly. 
I could slide that part of the wall back and forth just the tiniest bit. Acting on a gut feeling, I hurried down the stairs, grabbed a screwdriver from downstairs, brought it back up, wedged the tip into the crack, pulled, and a big rectangle of the wall popped off between those shelves, between the edge of the door jamb and the back wall. It was a hidden storage spot. Oh my god. Only about six inches deep, maybe a foot or so across, just the wall hollowed out, and behind it was a couple of earrings. <gasps> Most of them looked old, but one was new, very new. It was mine. I didn't even know it was missing. That scared the shit out of me. But what was way scarier was the doll. Next to the earrings was a very old, creepy-looking little doll with blonde hair under a scarf on her head, a hand-painted face, a red and green dress. I knew that was the doll from my dream. That was the thing that had jumped up onto my bed, and I grabbed it. I grabbed it, and I ran downstairs, waiting at any second for that thing to start trying to free itself, run up my arm and attack me. I hated the way it felt. It felt cold, way too cold for how hot it was outside. When I got downstairs, I realized I didn't know what to do. I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted this thing out of my life. I then remembered I had a barbecue. It was a housewarming gift my friends had given me. <clears throat> an old charcoal grill for warm summer nights. They'd even brought a bag of charcoal and a bottle of charcoal lighter fluid. I didn't need the charcoal, but now I had use for that fluid. I didn't. Uh, um, I don't smoke anymore now, but that night I was so glad I smoked back then. There was always a lighter or matches nearby. I grabbed a book of matches from a drawer in the kitchen, headed outside into the backyard of my pajamas, walked over to the grill and threw the doll in it. And as fast as I could, I doused it with some lighter fluid, fluid, flicked a match on it, and watched it burn. And I swear to God, it started to shake <gasps> as it burned. I heard that thing squeal. I will never forget that sound. I poured more lighter fluid on it. It squealed more, kept shaking. Then it started to roll back and forth like it was trying to put itself out or maybe get up. Finally, it stopped when the damn thing had disintegrated. Doing some research later, I found out that dolls like that were filled with sawdust. No wonder that thing burned up so quick. By the time I was done, I must have used almost the whole container of that lighter fluid. There was nothing left but a melted face and some ash. I threw the face, I feel bad, but it's what I did, into a neighbor's trash can. I dumped the ash out into a corner of the yard. I was terrified I just pissed off some dark force or set something free, but maybe I destroyed whatever that thing was. I got rid of all the earrings from that hiding place, even hired some spiritualist or medium or something to sage and cleanse my house. I had that piece of wall redone, sealed, had it salted. I had a past pastor come over and bless the house too. I'm not even religious, but I just wanted to cover all my bases. And it seemed like it worked. I lived in that house for another 10 years before selling it and moving in with my now husband in old Brooklyn. Before moving out, talking to a neighbor, I did get scared one last time. She said that several decades before I moved in, she heard that a little girl about nine or 10 years old died in that house. Oh my God. She got what her mom thought was the flu, seemed like it wasn't that bad, and then she died in her sleep. And she wasn't sure if she was remembering correctly or not, but maybe someone else had died in their sleep in that house years before. That was the rumor in the neighborhood. At one time, I immediately thought of my dream, all the earrings in that hidden spot by the doll, and I knew that rumor was true. Whatever that living doll was, it killed someone, maybe a few people, and I think it tried to kill me too. Sleep tight, everyone. Might want to check your walls, make sure nothing is hiding in any of them. Holy Hades. <clears throat> that was so good. Yeek. That was so good. Sorry, I had, I had a little oat milk. <laughs> Got in my throat for part of that, but yeah. That oh, was, I couldn't tell. That one, um, yeah, that one really creeped me out. And it actually, and she did include a picture. This is not the, I mean, obviously it's like she burnt the shit out of it. Right. But she, you know, went online, I guess, you know, later before she posted this story and mm -hmm. found a doll that she thought looked very similar to the doll that she found. Randomly, the picture of this doll, uh, I guess it was a composition uh, doll uh, made in the 1930s from, uh, and made in Poland. Oh, wow. So it, I think this is like a, uh, like a Polish 
just I just dressed in like Polish traditional garb. Garb, yeah, yeah. A little blonde okay. hair, a little green and green dress, little babushka. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So super creepy. And then I will say this next thing has nothing to do with this story, but this is another doll one. This is so creepy. I was I was uh just got me thinking about creepy dolls. I wanted to see if I could find anything else. And then these things came up, and they're called reborn dolls. I'm sorry, what is that? They're realistic, lifelike dolls become popular among parents who are looking to prepare toddlers for a new brother or sister. So it's supposed to look like a real little kid. The one on the left is particular. Oh the boy. Gosh. Oh my God. Those are terrifying. I would be so scared of that if I was a little kid. Yeah, that's not going to help me. Then when my real life brother or sister shows up, I'm not really going to be so happy about that. It's going to freak me out. To me, that epitomizes that oh, uh, God. uncanny valley effect where yeah, it's like, like it. yep, you get you get close to human, but not quite. And it is terrifying. Terrifying. I'm done looking at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Okay. What a crazy, crazy, crazy story. I hope it's not true. Uh, I don't know. Just for my own uh, peace of mind. Well, I hate I hate creepy dolls. Oh, yes, of course. How, uh, I mean, how brave of her where she was just like, F this, and she just went in the closet. It's like and, fight or flight. Yeah, well, I'm a flyer. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm flying the airplane out of there. What a, what a, okay. I mean, who knows how people, okay, like, let's say this is all true and this happens and you're mm-hmm. in this situation. Mm-hmm. That would be the best thing to do. I don't know if I would have the courage in the moment to do it. Right. That was some serious foresight. <laughs> but, but if you don't do it, then I think about this scenario. You've just bought this house. You, you've barely saved up enough to get this house. You leave, you come back. What if that fucking thing is gone? And now it's not in the little hiding spot. Right. Where is it? Where Scurrying is it? around your house. I would not. I would. I mean, that is something we talked about, like, get the fuck out. I know <laughs> I got the chills. Um, if I just saw some, like, little apparition or something, maybe I could deal with that. Mm-hmm. But a tangible thing mm-hmm. and the door slamming so it can, like, affect the physical world, I, I'm done. Yeah. I, I have. I, that's my get the fuck out. The, um, if that thing is just gone somewhere in the house, we do our best to find it. The next day, when it's light out with some yeah. friends. Lots and, of light. And if that thing can't be found... Then I'm crashing on somebody's couch while my new house sits empty. <laughs> um, I, th- what really sent me over the edge was the earrings. Oh, yeah, that, that's a the, weird detail. That the doll had taken her earring or, well, the spirit attached to the doll. And, <sighs> and like the dream that she was having, that was like what I started to write down was that like in the terrible dream that she's having. Yeah. Where she's a sick kid and a mom, not her mom, is caring for her. It was clearly... Like, I, I, I was having this thought that, like, the little spirity thing was maybe actually maybe trying to help her yeah. and save her because maybe the doll is possessed and there's something nefarious attached to the doll. But then also maybe the little girl that died in the house from the flu, mm-hmm. like maybe she was trying to help her. So, like, she was giving this new person, this woman, her dream, a, a dream that, like, mm-hmm. showed her what happened to oh, her so that she could find the doll and kill the doll and get rid of it. Do you see what I'm saying? Is yep. that making sense? That makes total sense. And I did not think of that at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I was like, a, like, save yourself. Like, this like, is what happened to me. Oh, yeah. Like, as opposed to this force messing with her. That makes more sense. Yeah. That's where I, I thought with the story. I was like, I was like that somehow the doll manifested itself in this dream. But that actually doesn't make any sense. Like, why would it want to tip its hand? Right, right. I, I, I don't, don't know, know but that, that that makes more that makes more sense if, if there's it's some like a, little monster. Yeah, like some like the doll has an evil attachment, and that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And that that evil attachment to the doll already probably existed, and this little girl that died all these years ago that was probably her toy doll that already had an yeah. evil attachment. And so I feel like the little girl was coming that woman's dream to say like, get out, or here's where the doll is, or let me help right, you. Right, 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 right. 
I'm trying to find the good in things. Okay. Okay. okay? That's you good. Know, I'm, like that's good. To, I'm working on positive spins. <laughs> good. 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 Well done. Because, you know, I was just talking about the Denver Spider-Man the other day. Do you remember that story? Mm-hmm. That is such a creep. That's one of the creepiest stories I for me, too. Just because uh, because it's definitely, part of it is definitely real. Right. A weird, creepy dude definitely hid in someone's attic and definitely killed somebody. I know. And anytime I hear, like, noise in our attic, I kind of, like, go to that place. Mm-hmm. But I'm feeling really good about it right now because we had to have some uh, work done on our roof from the inside out. Oh, yeah. And so a couple of guys went up like in the crawl space. And I, oh, so yeah, before they went up there, I was like, hey, so do you guys know the story of the Denver Spider-Man? Oh, you told them that? I sure did. Funny. And they, one of the guys was like, what? And I'm like, have fun up there. Now one of those guys is probably hiding up there. Where, no, where I, are those I, guys at? I watched them leave. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, it's like tiny space up there. Lots of old insulation. I think you dive asbestos before <laughs> before you could harm me. But they were like all clear. But then they could stop talking about it. Oh, yeah. It's such mm-hmm. a weird, weird phenomenon. I know. But I feel good. I feel good okay, about good. like, oh, okay. Well, the sounds that I've been ha- hearing in our house is like <sighs> actually just settling sounds. Or a spirit, but definitely not the Denver Spider-Man. <laughs> so, you know, process of elimination. Okay. Are you ready to go to Cuba? I'm ready. Is, is your friend coming with us? Yeah, Layla's going to come along. She'll tag along. Okay. All right. Well, off to Cuba we go. This is like a really, I think, a very unique story. Um, I think that the fan who sent this story in, she does a really good job of taking us back to her childhood mm-hmm. and explaining uh, some historical background and yeah. where she was. And uh, Excuse me. I was fine until it was my turn to talk. <laughs> and now I'm just going to like burp, burp, burp it up. That is the weird. Why does that happen? It is the weirdest thing. I mean, it's some kind of psychological thing. But I um, I probably said it on this show, but if I have, it's been a long time. But, you know, maybe a lot of listeners don't even know this, but a long time ago, I hosted this weird show on the Playboy channel. Yeah. And But I remember Andrea, my co-host. Yeah. And she had co-hosted versions of that show for many years, had a lot of experience. And she oh, yeah, was we did like, talk about this. Yep, yeah. she was really polished, really professional on mic. Every single episode, she would do her best to get all her burps out the 30 seconds before the mics would be turned on. Yeah. And always had some. Be, always, it's it just like, I don't know, your body, it just does something where it's like, oh, you're, you're going to talk now? Well, now you have to deal with some weird air. I know, it's so bizarre. <laughs> uh, and if I, it's a conversational, like with friends, no, I don't nothing. think that happens. Nope. But, it, but it's when you're like, I must perform now. Yeah. Ugh, I know, it's like weird. straw, no straw, because they say drinking through a straw mm-hmm. brings in extra air. It oh, can yeah. create like gas bubbles in your stomach. Eat I don't potato know. chips before. There's all these like weird tricks that'll work sometimes. Listen, but, I'll I eat know. potato chips just because, right? <laughs> um, but anyways... So I thought she does a really good job of taking us. Um, she goes on a trip with her family for okay. her 12th birthday, and she gets to go on this horseback riding yeah. adventure. And she stumbles upon something that she doesn't know what it is. And it turns out, like, maybe she has messed with, like, a Santeria altar. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it just, like, goes to show, like, I don't know, trust your gut <laughs> on things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think. So anyways, uh, and we've never been to Cuba. I mean, no. in this show, I think we've been to Cuba, but in real life, we've never been to Cuba. No, it was hard, very hard to get there for a long time. I know. Uh, and I yeah. don't know what it's been during the pandemic, but I would... Uh, I don't know. Our friend Jamie, she's been to Cuba, mm-hmm. and she said it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Todd and Maddie have been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful, but like such a... I don't, there's just so much tragedy in Cuba's history. Yeah, a lot of, uh, lot of poverty, a mm-hmm. lot of... 
Yeah. Oh, as uh, sadness. people, bad magicians know who listen to other shows, I'm not a huge fan of communism at all. What? And what uh, that's uh, one of the examples of like the human rights atrocities. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it will never make like public record. But there's these like you can find these articles on people who were there. And mm-hmm. there was like there was some guy from Milwaukee. It's so random. He was like an ex-military guy who ended up going down to Cuba and became one of their executioners. It was like a big Rolling Stone article, I believe. And so terrifying. But like every day. He was killing people, and, and their and their and their crimes were basically like I don't like I don't like communism, mm-hmm. and it was like well all right you're next you're next get mm-hmm. firing squad yeah yeah well well but I, I I like to bring that up as like a you know there's a lot of death and destruction in Cuba yep so when we're thinking of it from the paranormal side like it would it would lead us to believe that there would be a lot of activity there because there's been a lot of death there yeah right all right well let's. Uh, dive in. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. I'm fairly new to the podcast and loving every spoop. Oh, thanks. I've never shared this story with anyone other than my family and my husband and never felt safe to do so. I don't know about you, but I don't particularly care for being called crazy for having experienced something scary and inexplicable. Mm-hmm. But you guys have created such an incredible space here that it gave me the confidence to yes. write it down. So here we go. I grew up in a small town about 30 minutes from the Vinales Valley, located in the province of Pinar del Rio, Cuba. The Vinales Valley is a karstic depression formed by round-shaped hills called Magotes that date back to prehistoric times. This valley is famous for the award-winning tobacco that it has been producing for centuries. Unfortunately, rich tobacco fields brought as much prosperity for the plantation owners as it brought misery and death to the thousands of African slaves that were shipped to the region in the 19th century. The caves and rock formations within these hills provided refuge to runaway slaves and a safe place where they could practice Santeria, a religion that has its roots in Yoruba Uh, Yeah, Yoruba African culture. Santeria religious practices include physical offerings such as candy, fruits, and baked goods, animal sacrifices of local farm animals, and rituals where practitioners would dress white in white for a whole year or even sometimes their whole life. You can find worship places and sacrifice altars all over the valley as they have been well-preserved by local religious groups. Today, the valley is a hub for tourism, and luxurious hotels stand on the same grounds where plantations, barracks, and slave graveyards used to be. I've given you all these details because understanding this place is key to the story I'm sharing with you today. The year was 2002. I was a few weeks shy of turning 12, and my family decided to take a four-day trip to the Vinales Valley to celebrate my birthday. We stayed at Los Jasmines, a three-story hotel that overlooked the most picturesque part of the valley. On our second day of our stay, my mom surprised me with a horseback riding tour. Turns out the guide was an old classmate of hers, and he had a last-minute cancellation, which meant I could go free of charge. I sprinted to our hotel room, put on some jeans, a long sleeve shirt, and a trucker hat. I had always enjoyed horseback riding, and I was pretty, pretty good at it, so I was beyond excited. The group lined up by the entrance of the hotel around noon, waiting for Pablo, my mom's friend and guide, to bring the horses. He helped each wide-eyed tourist to saddle up, explaining how to maneuver the horse in a barely understandable version of English. Rosita, are you good? He said to me while giving me a thumbs up. I nodded and hopped on the horse. His name was Pinto. We slowly set off towards a main trail surrounded by tobacco fields and a few shacks. Most tourists were taking photos, while the rest were actively listening to Pablo talk about the local history. Unfortunately, I was not really interested in a guided tour. I thought we were going to go horseback riding. I signaled Pablo to come see me at the back of the line with hopes that we could work something out. 
Do you think I could ride on my own for a bit? This is so boring, I said, and he laughed. Sure, Rosita, he said, smiling. Just make sure you don't go too far. But if you wander off, don't worry. Pinto will take you straight back to the hotel. He's been doing this for years. He knows the way. You just got to tell him, though, he added. Tell him, hotel, and pat his neck a few times. I nodded. It was simple enough. He smacked Pinto's behind and told me to enjoy with a joyous grin. I started riding in the opposite direction from the group, picking up speed a little at a time. I was having a blast. After a while, the tobacco fields were gone and the trail became increasingly narrow, now surrounded by hills on both sides. Pinto slowed down on my command. I could see smaller trails behind the closest tree lines. That's when I spotted some weird stones to my right and they caught my attention. I steered Pinto into the direct into that direction. The closer we got, I could see them better. It looked like a table, a few smaller rocks as legs, and one large stone as the top. I wondered if people had maybe used them to roll tobacco leaves. Once we were a few feet from the rocks, Pinto came to a halt, then backed off a few steps. I tapped his belly and said, go, a few times, but he just wouldn't move. I thought there might be an animal around that he could sense that I couldn't see. Just as I was about to turn back, he began moving forward again. We continued deeper in the trail. I saw another group of stones similar to the ones from before, and once again, Pinto stopped just a few feet away and backed off a few steps. I said, go, go, repeatedly, but he wouldn't move. I looked around. The trees and bushes were eerily still. I glanced at the stones once again, up and down, and then I saw it. There was something shiny underneath them. I squinted as hard as I could, trying to distinguish its shape. I didn't want to get off the horse, but I was pretty curious about what I saw, and so I did. I walked to it, still holding the reins in one hand. It was a broken glass bowl. Next to it lie a peeled coconut with a smiley face painted on it in some kind of worn-out red paint, some scattered glass pieces, and a piece of torn white cloth. I could see something else sticking out from under the cloth. I lifted it, and my stomach turned. Ugh! There were maggots squirming their way around some fish bones and a tangled-up necklace made of tiny white and blue beads. Without a second thought, I grabbed the necklace and shook it over and over while stepping back. Pinto neighed and stomped the ground with his front legs. I had completely forgotten that I was still holding the reins with my other hand. I must have scared him. I looked at the now maggot-free necklace. It was pretty cute. I remember my dumb 12-year-old self thinking that maybe the white beads were real pearls or something. And since there was no one around to claim it, I put it in my pocket. Little did I know that I had taken far more than a necklace with me. I saddled up once again, patted Pinto's neck a few times, and said, Hotel. We got back to the main trail, heading towards the tobacco fields, leaving the stones behind with every step. Pinto was walking slowly, but I didn't mind it this time. My mind was too busy thinking about the weirdly painted coconut, the necklace, and the ugh, maggots. I kept touching my pocket, making sure I could feel the beads. Then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move, and my heart skipped a beat. I turned my head and I saw a dark-skinned girl, probably about my age, dressed in white, walking alongside the main trail. I looked her way for a few seconds, but she wasn't looking at me. She was looking forward, expressionless. I turned my back around, thinking that it was weird that I hadn't seen her before. There was nothing around us but tobacco fields, and the closest house was over a mile away. But I knew I had been distracted, so maybe I just was not paying too much attention to my surroundings. A few minutes passed, and I checked again. She was still there walking, looking forward. It was weird, but I swear I couldn't hear any sound coming from her steps. I started to get a little bit freaked out, so I patted Pinto's belly a few times, and he picked up the pace. I didn't look back right away, but when I did, the girl was gone. I looked around to the other side of the trail and saw some kind of shack out in the distance. 
Could she have run all the way there without me hearing or seeing? I thought maybe she lay down in the tobacco plants, but like who would do that? It really bothered me. Was she trying to scare me on purpose? And then I looked forward and chills ran down my spine. I saw the girl walking on the same side of the trail, but this time she was ahead of us and walking towards us. She was looking straight at me with a blank, almost lifeless expression. It scared the hell out of me. There was no way she could have gotten ahead of us. I would have seen her sprinting forward. And while she was staring at me, all creepy, I said, Hey! And I and a wicked grin stretched across her face. I felt a burning sensation inside my pocket where the necklace was. My heart was racing, and my body was paralyzed with fear. My eyes fixated on her grinning face. And then she vanished. I shook my head and held onto the tight reins and smacked Pinto's behind, yelling, Go! 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 Hotel! This time, he really picked up the pace, and we rode fast. I never looked back again. By the time we got to the hotel, my legs were sore, and my hands were burning from holding on so tight. I saw Pablo waiting for me atop the hill. He asked me what had taken so long, but I just handed him the reins and loudly thanked him as I ran up the hotel stairs. I finally took a deep breath as I walked through the room, walked through the door to our hotel room. My brother was watching TV, and my mom and dad were on the balcony watching the sunset. I walked outside, and immediately my mom asked me what had happened because my face looked so pale. I told them how I rode off by myself and found these stones, the weird coconut, the necklace, and the weird girl dressed in white that disappeared. They all stared at me, including my brother who had joined us for story time. My dad chuckled and said that the kid was probably bored and just playing a prank on me. But my mom didn't laugh. She asked me very seriously if I had touched anything. I hesitated in showing her the necklace, but I did. When she saw it, her face lost all color, and an extremely concerned look took over her face. She smacked the necklace from my hands and hurried to the bathroom to grab a towel. She picked the necklace up and asked me if I had tried it on. She was livid. I said no. She made me swear that I had not put this thing around my neck, and so I did. She then grabbed a black eyeliner pencil from her makeup bag and drew a black cross on the back of my neck. Make sure you don't scrub this off when you're taking a shower, she said. Then she took the towel with the necklace inside and left the room, slamming the door behind her. I didn't see her again until dinner. She was waiting for us at the hotel's dining room. She seemed calm. I asked her why she had freaked out so much about a stupid old necklace. I mean, was she mad at me that I stole it? It was abandoned. She held up her index finger and I shut up. After I left the room, she said... I looked for Pablo to show him the necklace and tell him your story, and he confirmed my suspicions. We filled up a glass with water and dropped the necklace into it, and now tomorrow you have to go back and return the necklace. But don't worry, we'll go with you. I remember pleading with my mom to not make me go there again, that I just wanted to spend the next few days chilling by the pool, but she couldn't change my mind. She couldn't change her mind. As bedtime came, I fought falling asleep for as long as I could. Every time I closed my eyes, I replayed the whole thing. At last, I did fall asleep, and the next morning, my mom woke me up at 6 a.m. She said that her and my dad barely slept because I kept waking them up, that I was loudly sobbing and mumbling words in my sleep. However, what happened next scared me more than anything I'd experienced so far. As I was changing my clothes, I noticed a handprint on my belly and one wrapped around my right forearm. I screamed and my mom came running. She was trying to keep it together, but I could tell she was scared. She checked the cross on the back of my neck, a bit smudged, but still there. She asked me if I had had bad dreams. Maybe I had just been holding on to my own self too tight. We met Pablo by the entrance. This time he was accompanied by a woman. She was dark-skinned and dressed in all white. She looked at me, but didn't speak. Pablo patted my head and smiled at me while telling me not to worry, that everything was going to be okay. I stared at him, trying to figure out the meaning of his words. 
The ride back to the stones was shorter than I remembered. Once there, my dad stayed back with the horses while my little brother, my mom, Pablo, and the woman and I headed towards the second set of stones. He gave me the glass of water containing the necklace, and then he positioned me in front of the stones and asked me to place the glass with the necklace in it on the same spot where I had found it, and then the woman began to speak some words I did not recognize. It wasn't Spanish. After a few minutes of her repeating the same words over and over, she stopped and said, it was done. There were tears streaming down her face. Once we were back at the hotel, we all sat down by the pool. My dad went and grabbed some beers, and my little brother jumped in the pool. Not too long after that, the woman turned her body towards me, held my right hand with both of hers, and she had a very sad look on her face. Little one, she said. My name is Beatriz. The place you took the necklace from was a shrine that I made to Yamaya, my patron goddess. Tears flowing from her eyes again, she continued. My youngest daughter, Clarita, passed away a few weeks ago from a pulmonary infection. That shrine was a tribute to, to Yamaya, so she guides my little girl to heaven. When you took the necklace, you interrupted my daughter's journey. You see, each bead is a step on the road to her afterlife. She squeezed my hand a bit tighter now. Thank God you returned it before it was too late, she continued. If you had worn that necklace, you would have been marked as a sacrifice, just like the fish I had placed there before. She looked at my mom and nodded. Your mom is a very smart woman, she added. That cross she drew on the back of your neck protected you from being taken from Yamaya as part of the offering. Your soul would have been gone before the sunrise. She let go of my hand and stood up. I don't remember saying anything to her. I was so upset, my body uncontrollably shaking. And then I remembered the handprints. I checked my wrist and it was gone. I pulled my shirt up a bit and the one on my belly was also gone. My dad was back with the beers and asked her to stay, but she refused the invitation. She took a few steps away from the table, stopped for a second, and looked back at me. She looked even sadder now, and her voice broke as she said, Did you really see my Clarita? I nodded, still shaking. Did she look happy? I lowered my head, remembering her scary face in that wicked grin, but I nodded yes again to give the woman some peace. I saw her feet turn and walk away. I remember crying inconsolably for quite a while while my mom hugged me tight. This story has come up at family reunions over the years. My mom has always patted herself on the back for how she handled things. She's the kind of person that believes in supernatural energies and gods and the afterlife. For a long time, I struggled with this experience. I tried to convince myself that I made it up, that I never saw the girl on the side of the road that day. But through the years, I've woken up more than once with a handprint on my belly, sometimes two. And every time this has happened, I wake up feeling short of breath and sweating, the way one feels after running. I've taken photos of the marks, which I keep on a hidden folder on my phone. Hopefully one day I can look at them and be assured that nothing is trying to drag me out of this world. I simply do it to myself while I sleep. That was a, I mean, in addition to being terrifying, a great story. It's a super incredibly well-written story. Wow. I know. It's like you don't see it coming. You're like, okay, ghost, horseback riding. And then it's like, oh, my God. Crazy trip into fucking voodoo Santeria land. Right? Yikes. I, I mean, I don't I don't pretend to know much about Santeria or voodoo. I mean, I understand them as concepts, but I don't know their traditions. They're syncretic religions, they call them. Okay, where what does that mean? It's a, it's, a, it's a blend of existing religions. Syncretic, okay. <clears throat> so, like, what happened was... I mean, it's just, you know, sad history. But when slaves were bought, brought over, you know, to the Americas from like yeah, West Africa and Central Africa, they had their existing religions and their gods. Mm-hmm. And they were now not allowed to openly worship them. Correct. And their captors were Catholic for the most part, especially mm-hmm. in the Caribbean and South American stuff. And so what ended up happening is they kind of snuck being able to worship their gods into 
kind of embedded it within Catholicism. Yeah. And it became over many generations its own thing. Mm-hmm. So it has like this interesting mix of like um, saints and mm. stuff mixed from Catholicism with old gods from Africa. And then, you know, like, like which was like a religion where there was sacrifice and things. Yeah. And then sacrifice got blended into this. It, yeah, it just became, and then like Santeria and uh, voodoo are different but related. The, the, their origins are very similar. Mm, interesting. With that same mix. But um, Well, that like the, the altar and like this afterlife is kind mm-hmm, of where I was going. It's mm-hmm. like I don't, you know, I was raised Catholic even though I'm not practicing and we just believe that, you know, you die and you go to heaven mm-hmm. or you go to hell. Like that there but there's no you don't have to do an offering. There so this was very yeah. different for me, different territory to explore. Yeah. Very interesting. That like this yeah. that they believe it so emphatically. And it varies from place to place. Like like the rites and the rituals in Cuba mm-hmm. are gonna be different, uh under the guise of like the, the same, you know, Santeria or Voodoo, you know, whichever variation yeah. in another place because again, because of the the slavery history mm-hmm. There wasn't like a written tradition. Right. It was all oral. All oral and took on and it's yeah, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. But like that's uh that's one of the best stories I've ever heard to come out of that world. But yeah, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Uh, yeah. I, I and terrifying. Thought, to like to see terrifying. it with the group and to have all those elements and people talk about it at family reunions. That would fuck my head up. Right, because you're like it's never over. What, she's almost twelve when it happens? Mm-hmm. Ooh, hello, 12. recurring nightmares for the rest of my childhood. Twelve in two thousand and two. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great recall, great attention to detail. The yeah. setup was really good. I mean, I just I loved it. I I guess, it gave me chills. That was great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know it's like like halfway through you're like, okay, when's the scary part? And, and, and then it ending. hits you and you're like, holy crap. <clears throat> yeah. That was like a great one because also like you know, yeah, Clarita. I mean, ha- I mean, happy ending asterisk. I mean, obviously, the precursor is beyond tragic. Yeah, losing no parents, the Clarita never dying. Their child, yeah. yeah, happy for the. I meant happy for the storyteller. Yeah, you yeah. know that, that it didn't follow them afterwards. Well, she says that she still wakes up with some handprints on her body every well, once in a while. Oh, oh, yeah. I missed. That. I missed that part of. I, I, I thought she was thinking about the handprints. I, I was no, she lost. Has, like, the, they she has actually a, show up again. Yeah, she takes pictures and has them in a uh, file on her folder. She has a folder on her phone with those photos in it. Well, never mind then. (laughs) I was thinking that you were saying happy ending for Beatriz, the mom. I I thought it was very astute that at 12 years old. That she would say like, no, she seemed fine. Yeah, even though she knew damn Mm -hmm. well Clarita did not seem okay. She seemed seemed less than okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay, well, now I just have like a a maybe like more fun, kind of spooky, haunted Irish pub. We'll take the edge off and end on a nice note. Okay. Okay. Hi, Dan and Lindsay and team. My husband Matt and I are both huge fans of Scared to Death, and he's definitely the creep, and I'm the peeper. We Mm. love the show. Thank you. I do about 10 hours of commuting each week, so Scared to Death and Mm. Time Suck are both regulars in my podcast rotation. Since I started listening, I've considered writing in with my own real-life spooky tale, and I finally put pen to paper, or fingers to keyboard in this case. (laughs) So here it goes. While we are both Canadians, this story actually takes place in Dublin, Ireland. Back in 2013, my then-boyfriend, now-husband, Matt and I, both graduated university and decided to backpack across Europe for a few months. After that, we planned to settle in Dublin for the year to work and live. After a few weeks, my husband got a job working at a pub called the Chancery Inn, situated on the north side of Dublin, right along the Lyfe, a river that flows right through Dublin, dividing it into north and south. Here's where the tale takes place. The Chancery Inn is an early house, which means they are allowed to start selling liquor at 7 a.m. Back when fishermen and tradespeople were getting up early to work, being Irish, they of course needed somewhere to grab a pint when they were done. So early houses were born. 
Now they attract a bit of a different crowd, but over the years, many people have come through the pub. The Chancery was a local's pub. Tourists rarely ventured in. I've tried to do some research into when the Chancery opened, but have never been able to find out how long it's been around. It's located in an old Tudor-style building and looks exactly how you'd picture an old Irish pub to look. Inside, it is a long, single room, creaky floorboards, lots of wood, and the bar runs almost the entire length of the room. Along the back of the pub in the basement was the women's restroom, but the men's was kind of in the middle of the pub, with the door facing directly across from the bar. One night, I was helping my husband close up. Everyone had left except for us. I grabbed the mop and bucket, brought it to the front of the bar, and started mopping while walking backwards. Just as I started, I heard someone say something behind me. It sounded almost muffled, and I I couldn't make out the words. As Matt and I were the only people there, I simply replied to what I thought was Matt. What? I didn't turn around and just kept mopping. There was a reply, but again, I couldn't understand. It was like I should have been hearing words, but I couldn't make it out. Like the words were just out of reach. I said again, Matt, what are you saying? And for a third time, I heard a muffled response. I still couldn't understand what was being said, but I clearly heard someone speaking. Irritated, I finally turned around and saw the door to the men's washroom closing. It was a swinging door, so it was like someone had just walked through the door. I was a little freaked out. Had we missed checking the bathroom to see if someone was still in there? Or maybe Matt had just gone in there. I opened the door, poked in my head, and said, Hello? Anyone here? Nothing. At that moment, Matt came up from the cellar behind the bar. In a lot of the old pubs in Ireland, there's a trap door behind the bar, and that's where the kegs and dry storage Mm -hmm. are kept. I asked him immediately, Hey, were you just up here? No. He responded, Why? I explained to him that I had heard someone talking and had seen the bathroom door swinging, like someone had walked in. He immediately went into the men's bathroom to see if anyone was in there, and of course, there wasn't. We were the only people there. I explained to him exactly what had happened, and he kind of smiled at me. He told me that while he had never seen or heard anything himself, other bartenders who had worked there over the years had claimed to have experienced weird things when they were alone at night. One one swore he saw an old man sitting at the bar, but the man disappeared just as quickly as he had appeared. Another said that after turning off the lights, which were at the back of the bar, he went to leave through the front and an unexplainable light flew past him. He ran Mm. out the door as fast as he could. Others said they have felt someone was there with them, but never felt like it was a threatening presence. It was just more likely a lonely soul hanging around. I still don't know what I heard, and I feel like I could convince myself that I hadn't heard anything if it hadn't been for the fact that the voice answered me three times, and I saw that door swinging. It was a heavy wood door, and there's just no way it could have done that on its own. I had a beer or two, but as a rule, I didn't drink much there, as I really just stayed to keep my husband company on the slow nights. So I definitely was not drunk. I never experienced anything else while there, and just like the other stuff I said, I never had a bad feeling about, and just like the other staff said, Mm -hmm. I never had a bad feeling about the place. But to this day, I still can't explain what I saw and heard. Thanks for reading. Love the show. And if you haven't been, you need to visit Ireland. Yes. It's one of my favorite places in the world and the only place in the world to get a proper pint of Guinness. Caitlin. <laughs> Caitlin. Yeah, maybe the ghost had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's, maybe that would that'd be kind of like a funny loop, you know, like like if like there's usually it's usually like in this, a bathroom loop. Yeah, like this tragic, you know, it's a lot of times like there was a murder or somebody. What if it was like what a weird just loop. Have to pee. Yep, just it was just like a ghost of some guy who used to like be a patron of that bar and his loop is or her loop or whatever is just like sitting on the stool and then getting up and going in the bathroom and moving the doors and then that's it. That's pretty funny. Uh-huh. I do I I like this. I mean it is lighter, but you know, mm-hmm. um I like the balance of it against the first story. Mm-hmm. And 
And I do think it's interesting that, you know, she heard something. She's like, and she thinks that she's talking to her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it did respond to her theoretically. Like, what? And then it, Matt, what did you say? What? You know what I mean? That's interesting. Yeah, like, I wonder if that would... Yeah, that probably wouldn't be the loop. That that part like would be like, is it actually trying to communicate back or weird coincidence? I don't I know. Mean, I mean, I guess obviously it's, I guess it would be that it's like trying to communicate back. That's such a weird thing. I don't know. There, I don't know. We've talked about these before, but like so many theories of like. We're never going to stop talking about the theories, Dan. I know. That's the point of the show, buddy. I know because it is. It just makes my mind go to this place of like, um, I'm picturing like, okay, uh, for Apple users. Like when you, when you, if you use like time machine, which I don't really use anymore, but that time machine backup. Mm -hmm. And I always think of when you would pull up time machine backups, like there's this, uh, all these little like screens, like old, old desktop screens, one stacked on top of another going back, 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 you know, out into like what looks like space in your computer. Mm -hmm. And they're all like stamped with like a time. And like, what if there's some crazy thing where it's like our reality is overlaid with an infinite number of other realities that are going forward and going backwards could be and sometimes it's like we're seeing like a glimpse of whatever was on the desktop uh in 1979 mm -hmm. and then uh and i don't know if you'd ever see it the other way but i mean like, just what a wild thought if like the universe is so vast and the mm -hmm. multiverse and all that that it could be like there there could but then i don't, I don't know how that affects like the loop but it's just interesting to me it's like what if sometimes you're just you are in the same space as other people in that same space in a different point in time and then maybe they're seeing you like what if she is the ghost to that person like what like ah, like I'm what with you. I'm like with yeah you. like what if she when she says like you know matt or you know whatever like right. that and then somebody else is hearing Bruh. Right, and, right. And they're seeing like, the like a movement. Yeah, like, like it's the same on both sides. That's yeah. an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't know. Mm, I like it. I like it. So it means we can scare them too. Yeah, yeah. What if they're not actually trying to scare us? What if we're just like everybody is on their field mm -hmm. or in their plane doing their life? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes there's like, whoop, little overlap. Matrix, little overlap. And so we just like catch glimpses of it, but they're not actually attempting to terrify us. It's just like, no, I'm just trying to get into bed. You just happen to be in my bed, yeah. but now your bed is in my plane. And what mm -hmm, the hell? Mm -hmm. Get out of here. That could explain a lot of them. The doll is its I own know, thing. That's, uh, okay. well, that's just... well, I mean, maybe a kid in another plane lost their doll. <laughs> and the Santeria stuff. Yeah. I know. But I for know. some things, but we can tell ourselves that for like just little bumps in the night. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm into it. Could I go first? You can go first. Okay, thank you. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon and helping us to donate to charity every month. Taylor West, Sue Coy, mm -hmm. Zach and Savannah, Carissa Thomas, Krista Steele, Jesse Lowe, Tina Rar, Jason Yeager. I wrote it down, Jasono. I, I like, <laughs> gave, I gave you an extra. Jasono. Sarah West, Julie Kay, J uh, Jonathan Carthright, Jacob White, Benjamin, John Rodriguez, Steve Schaefer, Ken Patchy, uh, Mariah Butler, Magical Manatee, Kimberly Hudson, Rianne, Amanda Oaks, Carmela Salvatore, Catherine and Cody, India Spencer, Tiffany Luschel, Ian Christensen, and Kayla Hilt. Thank you, all of you Annabelles. Thank now you for have... having easy names. Those <laughs> are good ones. And now for some more, uh, Amy Coleman, Kevin Clinton, Kyle Delano, Linda Reinhardt, James Ramey, April Peedle, Kelly Fawcett, Jen Kunze, Michael Smith, Sammy, Xenia, or yeah, Xenia Castaneda, 
Dixon Hans. Oh my God, that's got to be the first name Dixon, D-I-X-I-N, and then the second name H-A-N-N-S. Uh, if I'm if that's not a joke name, I apologize. But your name is basically Dixon Hand, Dixon Hans, Dixon Hans. No, Dixon. Dixon Hans. <laughs> I, I didn't even catch it, and I wrote it down. Okay. Uh, I think it's your 12-year-old brain. All right. Uh, Hannah Rose, uh, Jason uh, Ofatel, Ben Crouch, Dylan uh, Showbiz Black. How do you say it? Showbiz. Thank you. Uh, Rick Linville, Grayson Osben, uh, Julie. Wow. Uh, Julie. I know. I have no what? idea. Uh, very, even my, my fellow Polish person here uh, doesn't know how to say your Polish name. S Z C Z G I E L Ski. So I know the last part, Jilski. Sajilski. Sajilski. Julie Sajilski. Uh, Sarah Strumer. Bambi. Squirrel B. <laughs> this is definitely not a real name. Poopenheimer McStinker. <laughs> That's a good one. Poopenheimer Patrick McAuliffe and uh, Adrian Carreri. Awesome. And I have a few spoopy shout outs okay. to Ebony Angelita, a.k.a. Funny Bunny from your mommy and daddy doodle. Happy birthday to Sierra from Mother, but they were like, Mother and Dad. Happy 25th birthday to Teresa from David. Happy 10 year anniversary to Bailey from Jose. Happy belated birthday. And to Sierra from Tyler. Happy birthday. And I'm curious if those are if it's the same Sierra. If two different people love you, like, is your whole family listening? <laughs> it's like your mom and dad wish you a happy birthday. Yeah. And then, like, your brother, friend, boyfriend, somebody. Yeah. Some other male companion in your life. <laughs> uh, that is our show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it felt a little extra scary today. I know. It was a good one. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. I, it's going to be a long time before I forget about that uh, Cuban story. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith and Liz Hernandez for their work on social media and to Logan again for running BadMagicMerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing and directing today, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, and to book editor Drew Atana for helping to format the listener stories each week. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding today's first story. Uh, I found the second. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 